Father, we're not here out of routine because it's a Sunday morning. We're here because we recognize when two or more gather together, you're in the midst. And you've called us to assemble as your family and to give glory and honor to you and your Son. And we pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way with this service and that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would be high and lifted up. Not just in our words, but in our hearts and our minds. We ask, Lord, that you would help us with the cares of this world that have the ability to choke out your word because so many of us are facing so many trials and stressful situations, but it's a time for us to be bedded down in the green pastures and to be still before you and allow you to speak life into each of us that are here. We pray we'd have an ear to hear. Lord, your calling's always been for your church to have an ear to hear with the Spirit speaking, and that's who we want to hear from today, Lord, is your Spirit. So we ask that you would take your word and cause it to do something very dynamic inside of each one of us. We pray that today would be a day of drawing closer to you for faith to be deep and for love to grow bigger, Lord, in each one of our lives as we prepare to meet you. As we see the days that we're living in and recognize these are the days when you said you'd be back for us. And we anxiously anticipate and await your return for your church. And I pray that you'd help us today, Lord, to be aligned where we need it and have perspective where we need it, God, that we would see lens, we'd see, we'd see this life through the lens of your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Genesis 46. You want to turn there? Now, last week, I mean, just such a climactic scene that we see with Joseph really revealing himself to his brothers. You know, his brothers, hashtag his betrayers, hashtag his haters, hashtag those who sold him for shekels of silver. Much uh, an Old Testament picture of what would happen to Christ in the New Testament, how he would be sold for shekels of silver. So as we see that now, now the big thing is Pharaoh tells Joseph that, look, you send your brothers back home, tell them to get his father and all your family and bring them back here. Bring them back here to Egypt and we're going to take care of them. But, but Joseph told them along the way, don't be troublesome and don't be quarreling with yourselves. You know, there was something that they had to face on their way back to see their dad. And it was the fact that they allowed their dad to believe a painful lie for 13 years. 13 years, they had their dad in the dark on something that he didn't need to be in the dark on that caused him so much pain. And I'm sure they're pointing a finger at one another. But Joseph told him, don't be fighting. You just get home, get him, and you get back here. So that's where we're picking up. Remember, the famine is very severe. And it says here, well, I'll pick up in in the end of 45. And and they told him, Jacob, all the words of Joseph in verse 27, chapter 25, verse 27, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which, which Joseph had to carry him, his, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. See, he didn't even believe him at first until he saw the evidence. 
And then once he saw the evidence, all of a sudden this brought life back to him. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I'm going to go and I'm going to see him before I die. So now his name here, Jacob, also being called Israel, we see him journeying to the unimaginable day. And each of us are on this journey to the unimaginable day. And what I love about this is it says that Israel took his journey. And it's not just where he was going on this journey, but it was how he was going on this journey. And that's what makes it different with you and I as God's people in this world. We're not just existing through life. That we're traveling through and we're traveling through. We're traveling with hope and we're traveling with expectation. Because we understand as the people of God that this is the worst it's ever going to get. And we've got amazing, phenomenal days that lie ahead for us. So it gives us encouragement. It gives us anticipation, expectation, and hope. And it helps us to live a godly life. We know that we're on the precipice of Jesus Christ coming back for his church. At any moment, he could be back. And so for you and I, we don't just, tomorrow's not just a Monday. Tomorrow is one day closer to the king coming. Today is one more day with divine, eternal opportunities that are planted in them as you and I see this life through the lens of eternity. And as we see Joseph here, I think there's so many things we can extract from this. He's going to this reunion. And the best part of where we're heading on this journey as Christians, people who are in the faith, is not just where we're going, not just what it is, but it is the who of who's going to be there. The saints of old, the loved ones of the present, and most of all, Jesus Christ who made it all possible. So we see here, it says that Israel took his journey and all that he had, and he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto God, uh, his father, uh, the God of his father, Isaac. And when I see this, I see that Jacob here, in spite of all the mistakes he's made in his life, in spite of all the times that he's let God down, we see here that the blessing of God is still upon him. We see the favor of God is still moving in his life. And we see that he does something here. He stops at Beersheba. Beersheba, if you remember, that was a place where God met with Abraham in a connection to him, offering his son Isaac, his only son who he loved, as a, as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. One of the most beautiful chapters of the Old Testament because it reflects what God the Father would do in the New Testament with his son for your sin and mine. So he's heading to Beersheba, but he's heading to Beersheba to offer sacrifices, an act of worship under the God of his father, Isaac. And, and when I look at this, to me, this is every godly, kingdom-minded parent's prayer come true for their children, that they would be worshipers, that they would be those who would choose to offer their lives a living sacrifice and to live for what matters in this life, to live for the king who shed blood for them. Jacob offers sacrifices to God as his worship. And it says here that, that he offered sacrifice like his father Isaac did. I think it's so important for you and I that we set forth an example. If you will, go with me for a minute to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
Jacob, in spite of all his flaws, he built altars. And he worshiped just like the example of a godly grandfather and a godly father. Their example and their influence had an eventual impact upon this man. Second Timothy chapter one verse five or verse four, Paul writing to Timothy said, I greatly desire to see thee, I'm mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. A sincere faith, not perfect, but a sincere faith. Unfeigned faith is a sincere faith that, w- that is in thee. It's in you, Timothy, but at first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that it is in thee also. That faith had to begin somewhere. And you know, for us, I don't know how long. I mean, the, the, the selfish anticipating side of me is I want Jesus to come like now. But when I think of the reality of people I love, people that you love, when I think of the reality of the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, and the seven-year time period of great judgment, great tribulation being poured out on this earth, when I think about the great white throne judgment, when I think about Hades and the lake of fire, I'm so thankful that Jesus is long-suffering. I'm glad he didn't come back in the 80s. And I th- when I think about that, I think, you know, if Jesus tarries because he's so wonderful and God's so patient, not wanting any to perish, maybe we're the beginning of a line of something. Maybe you're the first believer in your family, but you won't be the last one. Maybe you're the lowest. That gives birth to a Eunice. That will eventually have a Timothy. So that the remnant of genuine, authentic, true Christianity would continue down the line. We see here that we cannot underestimate the powerful impact of being an example. And we set an example one way or another based upon our mindset that produces our actions and our behaviors. And may the younger generation see Jesus Christ in each one of us. You turn back to Genesis, but you know what? He did the same thing that his father Isaac did. You know why? Isaac was an amazing example of being a worshiper of God. And God spake unto Israel in visions of the night. Now, one of the things I want you to notice now on the other side of worship, what do we see here? We see God speaking and showing Jacob something. Speaking to Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here, here I am. Now, one of the things, I, I see a little bit of an order here, and I think I, I want to reiterate this to you, that, that we don't just play music in the morning just so that we would enjoy the way the service kicks off. We play these worship songs in the morning to give adoration to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to bring preparation to each one of our hearts that we might be able to hear and see what he wants to show us. That's why it's so important that we're not outside of those doors talking about the things that don't matter when we should be in here giving worship to the one who does matter. And it prepares our hearts. It prepares our hearts for, for, to hear God's voice, to hear God's word, and to see the things that maybe he wants to show us out of Genesis 46 today. Genesis 47. Because it's not important that I show up, it's important that he shows up. 
and that we hear what he has to say to us. And God spake unto Israel in visions of the night, said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here, here I am. You know, years ago when cell phones first came out, you know, I, getting used to the flip phone, you know, you look like the guys from Star Trek, you know, on the old flip phones. The younger generation probably doesn't even know what those are. They're in a museum somewhere. But I remember pulling into a Tim Hortons parking lot, and I saw one of my friends at the other end of the parking lot. So I called him up on the phone, and I watched him answer his phone and shut his phone and put it back in his pocket. <laughs> Ghosted me. Denied my call. So I get out of the car, and I'm like, that's real nice. You know, he, did, he didn't even know it, but I was actually watching him, and I was actually looking to communicate with him at that moment, and he just refused to answer. And sometimes I wonder how often we do that to God. Sometimes I wonder, you know, if God's trying to to speak something into our lives, or, or maybe, you know, just that little prompting of, look, I want you to go, and I want you to grab your Bible, and I want you to read this, because I got something I got to tell you. But, but we just kind of push that to the side. Maybe we deny it. We miss devotions in the morning, and, and, and we choose not to pick it up during the day, when really, maybe that day, God had something very special that he wanted to speak into our lives, and he's calling us. He's calling us to his word, because that's where he speaks to each one of us. So it says here that, and Jacob, he said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here am I. You remember that in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 9, when Samuel heard the voice of God, but he didn't recognize the voice of God, so he went and asked Eli, and Eli told him, hey, that's God. Next time you, uh, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls thee, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Our God's a living God and he's speaking right now. He's speaking truth in the lives and the hearts and the ears of those who have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. It's so important that this doesn't become like blah, 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 like Charlie Brown's teacher, but that we hang on this because this is eternal truth inspired by God, God breathed, that brings life to each one of us. And it doesn't matter whether we're going through a chapter that's very dynamic or powerful or one that maybe doesn't have as much in it, but it's nevertheless, it's God's word. And it's to be reverenced as that. And it has an effect in each one of our lives. So, so unfortunately... You know, with Eli, was God wasn't speaking to Eli anymore because Eli didn't have that ear to hear. But now all of a sudden there's a Samuel. And God's able to say, Samuel, Samuel. And he responds with, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. Very important. We come in, Lord, I'm going to hear your word today. Speak because I'm your servant and I'm listening. I want to hear what you have to speak into my life. I've had him speak to my heart in different situations that have been so precise. And it comes out of nowhere, but it does come when you're still before him. And it's amazing, and I'm not saying it's always going to be a scripture, but it's going to be some form of truth that you need to hear in your heart that's going to align your mind right up with what the Bible teaches. And he gives it to you because we serve a God who meets us where we're at. He's meeting Jacob where he's at. He wants to meet you and I where we're at because we're all in different places. But the difference between us and the blind world is we have a living God that speaks living truth and helps us every step of the way. Where would we be without it? Where would we be without those scriptures and that voice of love speaking into our life, whether it's encouraging or whether it's corrective? It doesn't matter. He loves us and he gives us what we need in the moments. 
But it's important you take time to hear from him. It's so important that that you are in the place where he can speak, that you have your own time with Jesus Christ in the living word of God that can can do the work of God in our lives. And, And he said, I am God. Now think about that. There's so much to be said in that verse. I am God. And and to be reminded who we serve and all that he is, when you think about God, he's he's our peace, he's, he's our power, he's our protector, he's our provider, he's our promiser. All these things that is just said in that simple verse that I am God. And obviously, as a spiritual leader of his family, and guys, I hope you can relate that we are concerned over the direction that we're going. And he's going to Egypt, but one of the things we need to remember is Abraham went there and it became trouble for him. He brought back a Hagar. He caused problems in a bad relationship because of his half-truth with the leader of Egypt. Isaac was going to go there and God told him not to. I don't, but what we see with Jacob here is we don't observe with him saying, I don't care what's God's will, I'm going to see my son. We don't see that. When you can think of the magnetic pull, my son's in Egypt, my son's alive, I'm going there. That pull, the same pull that you and I feel when when we want to go to, to heaven, you know. But he says that he wants to know if God wants him to go there. He says this, verse 4, I will go down with thee. I will go down with thee into Egypt. And I will bring thee up again. To have God doing life with us. To have the presence of God doing life with us. I'm going to tell you what. The narrow path has the best company on it. David knew that when he walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Didn't fear evil. Why? Because you're with me. Because thou art with me. There was something about the reality and the tangibility of God's presence that helped him. I'm, I can tell you from a personal perspective, it's been his presence that has carried me through dark times, has carried me through lonely times, has carried me through discouraging times, anxious times, painful times, corrective times. I've been sustained by the presence of the living, resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what he does for us. You take a walk with him, you open your heart, you open your ears, you'll be amazed what he'll speak to you. I've sat in this sanctuary all by myself and I've almost felt the arm, the hand-pierced arm of God go around my back. Because his presence is real. It's as real as he is. And Jacob wanted to know that he was heading in the right direction. In spite of everything he wanted, we see this guy finally in his life being more concerned with God's will for his life than anything else he wanted in his life. We see it's been 130 years, but but Jacob is finally growing spiritually into deeper places with the Lord. And, and, And he says in I'm going to go with you to Egypt and I will surely bring thee up again and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes which literally means that you guys will be together, Jacob, when I bring you to, into glory. You know, we look at Moses was the one that said, you know, Lord, if thy presence go not with me, 
Don't take me up. I'm not going to go. So important. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried Jacob their father and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. And they took their cattle and their goods which they had gotten in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with them. Here's the thing. No one was left behind. Okay, No one was left behind to perish because a king sent an invitation to come to his kingdom and the family leader responded. Are you get that again? No one was left behind to perish because a king sent an invitation to come to his kingdom and the family leader responded. It's a calling of men to respond to Jesus Christ for the leadership and the well-being of their family and to be setting the example for their family. What an awesome thing for him to look and to see everything coming. And look, at he took everything with him. He didn't leave plan B. Well, if it doesn't work out in Egypt, we'll leave all this behind. We can come back to all this. No. No, he was going forward on God's word. And you know, the, the nice thing in, in, in verse 6, it said all the seed were with him. The, you know, this family had the confidence in knowing that God was seeking, or that dad was seeking God in the days of difficulty. We're living in days of difficulty. Dads, it's time to be seeking God for our families in the direction we're going. You know, the big thing is being in the will of God. You know, I hear everybody, oh, I live in New York State. I've got to find another state to move to. If it's God's will, move to another state. But if it isn't, you better find out what God's will is because you could be moving into catastrophe. His sons, his sons' sons with him, his daughters, his sons' daughters, and all his seed brought he with him into Egypt. So we see everybody went with him. And uh, now we get a list of all the different sons and, and, and all their offspring. Um, one of the things that I want to note to you out of that, because I'm not going to sit here and butcher their names, um, in verse 13 it says the sons of Issachar. Now, now the sons of Issachar, now Issachar's mom was Leah, okay? And that was the first one that Jacob got tricked into marrying when he wanted Rachel. So that was when they got tricked into, but, but it says the sons of Issachar, Tola and Puva and Job. It's very possible that this is the Job of the Bible. I'm not 100% sure. Commentaries aren't 100% sure, uh, but this is a good possibility here that this individual Job here, all the way back to Genesis 46. So as we move along here, um, verse 26 says, And all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins beside Jacob's son's wives, all the souls were threescore and six or sixty-six, and the sons of Joseph, which were born in Egypt, were two souls, and all the sons of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. So 70 people moving into Egypt. Now, now we'll see this a little bit later, but, but it's amazing how in a 400-year time period, 70 people is going to turn into a couple million. As God blessed and prospered them. Verse 28 says, And he sent Judah before him to Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen. Goshen's going to be a very important part here as we look at Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Now, they didn't come exactly to where Pharaoh was. They just came into this region of Goshen, which was on the eastern side of the Nile Delta. 
all right? Very fertile land, but it was a land that would flood. It would flood often so they wouldn't plant crops there, but it was great for grazing animals, very fertile land. So, so this is where they're going to meet, and it, and it says here that Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. It's just like one of those sacred verses, you know. As a teacher, you feel like you can't do it any justice. You can't do it any justice. They just put their arms around one another. Can't imagine as, you know, remember seeing Jacob approach him probably with that limp that he got that night that he wrestled with God. God touched his hip. You see Joseph, what did he see with Joseph? You look just like your mother. The love of my life. I don't know. The countenance on this young man. All they could do is embrace one another and cry. And I think about that. You know, this is the unimaginable. It was her present experience. The ability to embrace the one who was pronounced as dead. 17 years with him. 22 years without him. And 17 with him before Jacob dies. So, you know, we, we look at this and, and we see everything that had to take place, but we think about the pain that was involved and the unimaginable that took place. I've been away from my family for a couple of weeks at a time and I still have the memories running down my mind of them at the airport just running towards me as little kids. Two weeks away and how I long for them. Imagine two decades. Imagine two decades in believing that he was dead. Imagine living with the fact that if I just wouldn't have sent him that day. My son, whom I love so much, his coat of many colors, just obeying what I asked him to do, going and looking out over his brothers, and it's been 22 years. And he's alive. I can't imagine the overwhelming. You and I have no idea when we step into heaven and we get to embrace those we love and we're embraced by those who love us. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important because if we don't know Jesus Christ, it's severing forever. But if we do know Jesus Christ, it's a uniting forever. Never to be separated again. If you're here today and you visited, Christ died for your sins and and you need to put your trust in him and make him your Lord and Savior. Because it's not just have an everlasting life, but it's abundant life here to live the life you were designed to live in fellowship and in harmony with the living God of glory. And then to know that you got hope on your journey. So many people don't have hope on their journey. Look at our culture today. Haven't you seen, don't you see the, the, the comparison of pushing Jesus more out of culture and the ramifications of that through all the social statistics from drug use and and suicide and and alcohol abuse and, and just anger, highly medicated. There's a connecting point here. You see, we can't take for granted that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We get to be a people of freedom. And along the way, we get to walk with 
hope and joy and great anticipation of the unimaginable that lies ahead. So we're going to leave that there. That scene burned into eternity. His son whom he loved, that he'd been separated from, this beautiful reunion. And Israel said unto Joseph, now let me die. <laughs> Dad, can't we enjoy one another for a few days? <laughs> you know, it's like his dreams come true. You know, I don't, I don't need anything more, you know. This is all I cared about. And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren in my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, they're come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade has been to feed cattle. And they brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh shall call you, you shall say, and he shall say, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Thy servant's trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Okay, here's the thing. See like an Old Testament picture of Christ here. The favored son of the father, rejected by his own, and was told that he was dead, yet he was alive. He went and he prepared a place for his people. That's what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. So he goes to prepare a place for his people. Here's Goshen, eastern side of the Nile Delta. The wisdom of Joseph, though, was to provide and to protect his family. Pharaoh would physically provide and protect. Jacob was spiritually providing and protecting. He had him in Goshen, away from really the center of Egypt... Because he did not want them. He wanted to keep them isolated and insulated far enough to keep them from indoctrination and integration into the strong, pagan, overwhelming influence of where they were living. We live today in strong paganism influence. Where there's indoctrination and influence. And we've never been given permission from God to isolate. But we are told to insulate. We're told to go into the world and teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. We were told by Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and we'd be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But we're told along the way that we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our eyes. And we need to take our thoughts captive and guard our minds. The world's a place of spiritual pollution. In 1 John, we're told not to love the world. 
or the things of the world. Well, what do you mean? God loved the world. No, the, the, what he's speaking about here, the world talks about its ethical and moral ways. Wanting to engage and not abstain from its sinful pleasures. In contrast with Moses, who chose rather to suffer the affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's the thing. The things out there that tempt us away from Jesus Christ. The things that the world wants to put on the plate for you. We live in very deceptive days. You've got to be very, very careful. So I love what Joseph did. Pharaoh's going to take care of him physically. Joseph says, I'll take care of you spiritually. I don't want you in the core of this because I've been here, man. This is paganism on steroids. And I want you to be in a place where you can worship the one true God, not the multitude of gods that the Egyptians worship. Chapter 47 says, And Moses came and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, five of them, and presented them to Pharaoh. No idea which five or why five, but he takes five of them. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? They said unto Pharaoh, We're shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said, Moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee, and the land of Egypt is before thee, in the best of the land. Make thy father and thy brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if you know any man of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. I think when Pharaoh looked at Joseph, I think there was an appreciation and a gratitude. Because if it wasn't for the connection of Joseph with his God, Pharaoh and his family would have died in this famine. He would have lost his family. He would have lost his kingdom. I think there was a degree of appreciation because of the quality of the man that this believer in God Almighty chose to be. And it brought an overflow of blessing beyond his own personal borders into the borders of his family. They were recipients of grace because of the great work of God in and through him. Our faithfulness to God, his favor upon us, and how that can transfer over upon those that we love. So we look at this. They get the best of the land. Here's the thing. When things are the worst, okay, this is a famine. I mean, they had to leave their home. They had to leave their country. When things are the worst, God can provide the best. Sometimes the best thing that ever happened to someone, I mean, the best thing that can ever happen to somebody is getting saved, making Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. But with a lot of people, that's when things are the worst. It comes when things are the worst. Bankruptcy, divorce, cancer, whatever it might be. Something that happens with your children. But we serve a God that when things are the worst... He can still provide the best. 
And Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and he set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, it was an interesting act of faith there, because the Pharaohs thought they were gods, that they were the sun god, Ra. And Jacob comes in, and he brings the blessing almost in a superior way over Pharaoh. And, and, and Jacob didn't have any ability to really bless um, Pharaoh with material, but he blessed him spiritually. And, and Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. <laughs> it's quite a synopsis of his life right there. But, but when you look at this, okay, now, now think about this. And I think he, when he's saying few and evil, I think the evil, I think he's talking about his own mistakes in life. I think he's getting near the end, even though he's got another 17 years, but I think he's getting near the end and he's reflecting upon all the mistakes that he made over his life. I got this out of a commentary, but, but it gave a quick synopsis. It says, and yet what Jacob said was true. His earthly beginnings were prophetic of his life. He struggled with his brother in a womb. He lived in a home where the parents were divided in their affection for their children. He gained the blessing of his father by deception then was alienated from his family because of his hatred of the or because of the hatred of Esau he spent years in exile serving his deceitful uncle Laban he sought one wife and ended up with four and the outcome of this was continual competition and strife he finally fled, fled from his uncle and eventually had to make a non-aggression pact with him lest further conflict arise. He suffered a loss of purity of his daughter Dinah at Shechem and feared the reprisal of the Canaanite kinsmen when his sons killed the men of the city and took the women, children, and cattle as booty. Rachel, his most beloved wife, died prematurely along the way to Bethlehem. His oldest son lay with one of his concubines. His favorite son was tragically lost and presumed dead. Finally, there was a famine which threatened the existence of his family. And the second-in-command of Pharaoh appeared to be taking even his youngest son away. Jacob, you see, was correct in the evaluation of his life. Really sobering up by some of the foolish choices that he made. You know, the, the mistakes that we make in life... And we all make them. But the best thing we can do is turn around and make them a life lesson. The days are few. James says our life's a vapor. Job says a man is a few days full of trouble. Moses says the days of our years are 70, perhaps 80. Jesus was 33 when he went to glory. We can't go wrong living each day as though it is the last. Because one of these days we're going to be right. And it's not to be morbid, but it's to prioritize what's truly important to value, what, value what genuinely has value. Psalm 90, written by Moses, said, Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. And I believe when we take that psalm and we apply it to our heart, it gives us the ability to live regretless. To be at the end having no regrets. So it says that his days were few. We can look at that and say, 147 years, how could that be few? It's extremely few in proportion to the timeline of eternity. Jacob saw the eternal timeline. When he said this, this was approximately 3,700 years ago. His earthly life 
at this point today was comprised of 0.039 of his existence. And that number is getting smaller as his eternity continues to go on. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land of Ramses. And Pharaoh, as Pharaoh had commanded, which would, they named it that after, after it was first named Goshen. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all his father's household with bread according to their families. He provided for them. But you know what? The provisions were there because Joseph was there. And you've got to remember how Joseph got there. Thirteen years with a big question mark hanging over his head. But God had a purpose in his difficulty and hardship. Come to learn that God's in the hard things of life. God's in the hard things. So what happens in the remaining verses here is that Joseph, well, we'll pick up verse 14. He gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the corn or the wheat which they'd bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence for our money fails? And Joseph said, Give your cattle. And I will give you for your cattle if your money fails. And they brought the cattle to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses and for flocks and cattle and herds and for donkeys, and he fed them with the bread for their cattle for that year. And when the year was ended, they came unto him the second time and said, We will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land, both us, or by us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and the land be not desolate. And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for the Egyptians sold every man his field, because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests bought he not, for the priests had a portion assigned them from Pharaoh, and they did eat their portion with Pharaoh gave them. Wherefore they sold not the lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is the seed for you, and you shall sow your land. And it shall come to pass in the increase that you shall give the fifth part to Pharaoh, and four parts shall be your own for the seed of the field, and for your food, and for them of your households, and for food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find grace in thy sight, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. So when you look at that, you see it's so hard, and it looks like they were giving up everything to their government. But one of the things we got to realize that Joseph was the influence of this government. Okay? And they got taxed 20%, but they were happy to pay it. Why? Because it saved their lives. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. At this point, they were rejoicing. Why? Because 
Joseph, under the influence of his God, was there with the interest of the people. Not self-interest. <laughs> A lot different than what we're looking at today in our government. But it says here in verse 26, And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt under that day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part, except the land of the priests only, which were not Pharaoh's. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, and they grew and they multiplied exceedingly. All right? Now remember back, there was a prophecy that God gave Abraham how they would be strangers in a foreign land, and then they would eventually become slaves there for 400 years. And, and that's what's going to happen here. They're going to they're gonna be here. This is between the final chapters of Genesis to Exodus. There's a 400-year time period with a pharaoh that arises that did not know Joseph, and he mistreated the people, and he afflicted them with hardship. It says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the whole age of Jacob was 140 and 7 years. So we're seeing here that, that this is towards the end of Jacob's life. He had 34 years with Joseph. And I look at that and I think, man, he only had 34 years with a son whom he loves. We only have a short amount of time with our kids to influence them and to impact them for the kingdom of God. We've got a real short time, and I think we need to redeem the time. We need to realize that there are the priorities that God's really put in our lives. And a time drew nigh that Israel must die. And he called his son and said unto him, If I have now found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in a burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. So, J- so Joseph gives him his word, and he said, Swear unto me. All right, that was a way of making an oath that couldn't be broken, or, or there could be a penalty if you did. His heart was still back at the land of promise, and he swore unto him, and Israel bowed himself upon his bed's head. A form of worship. You know, Jacob was the only one in, in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith to be commended as being a worshiper. And he would eventually be laid to rest within the promises of God. That that would be the land that God would give to Israel, give to his people. And he wanted to be laid to rest in the midst of God's promise, and he was. So we look at this and we see this wonderful reunion. We see the journey that each one of us are on. We see that in Christ there's great things ahead for all of us. Can't even get our minds around what kind of a reunion this must have been. But I'm telling you, take heart. Be encouraged. Live your life with hope. Live it with anticipation. Live it with expectation. Because someday... We're going to have an amazing reunion and embracing in heaven that we can't even get our minds around down here on earth. And I think at that point, there will be tears in heaven because you don't really see those tears wiped away towards, towards the end of the tribulation period. So there's going to be a lot of tears of rejoicing as we get to see those we love. So we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps our relationships, Lord, continuing through the ages and the ages to come. We thank you, Lord, that we see the reunion here of a, of a father and a son, Lord. And we think about Jesus, how you came here. And for 33 years, you, you were out of the physical kingdom with your father. And you came down here, Lord, to establish your kingdom here on the earth for us who have put our trust in you. And Lord, today, 
I pray, Father, the seriousness and the goodness of the gospel, Lord, would really rise on the priority scale of each one of our lives. And that this very week, Lord, that we'd be able to share the hope that we found in Jesus Christ with those who don't have it. Thank you, Lord, that we're not existing down here. We're living, we're journeying, but we're doing it with hope and we're doing it with joy because we know, God, that we're members of another kingdom. Thank you for our citizenship being in heaven. Thank you for the day that we're going to meet you face to face. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God that can take things that are so bad and turn them to the good. And when things are the worst, Lord, you can make them the best. So I pray your blessing over your people. And that as we worship you this last song, God, that we would give you adoration because you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.